Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Thank you, God, for all the good things you give us. And thank you, Father, for all the ways that you are at work in our lives, uh, Father, encouraging us um, as your children. Uh, Lord, we do pray uh, with thanks uh, for uh, the way that you are, yeah, the, the God who is faithful to us, who for whom all your promises find their yes in Jesus. We praise you for your trustworthiness. We praise you that we can have confidence putting our faith in you. Uh, for your track record is wonderful, Lord, and so we thank you for that. Lord, thank you for the way that people have shared tonight, just the way that you are encouraging us through your word, you're encouraging us through being in relationship with others, and ultimately you're encouraging us, Father, uh, with the hope of resurrection, Father, that this world is not all there is, the best is yet to come. And so, Lord, we pray, Lord, as we think about your word tonight, as we reflect on a passage of scripture that has some really challenging parts in it, Father, that you would um, stir in us a greater love for Jesus, a greater confidence in Christ, uh, that we might um, leave here with greater confidence in who you are and what you're doing. So, Lord, help us to hear you speak tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You would grab a copy of the Bible. Uh, there are copies of the Bible in the pews around you. There are black copies of the Bible, NIVs there. Or turn up on your phone or device or in the Bible you've brought with you tonight, uh, Acts chapter 21. Um, you may, if you've been around with us here at church for a little while, we are working through this wonderful book of Acts. And uh, tonight we're going to land into Acts chapter 21. Um, as you're finding Acts chapter 21 um, in the New Testament comes after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Uh, you'll come across Acts, turn to chapter 21. We've been working through the book of Acts now for some time, and, and you know probably quite well that the book of Acts records the, the first 30 years of the expansion of the growth of the Christian church after Jesus died, rose again, ascended to the right hand of God and poured out his Holy Spirit. Um, we've watched over quite a long time now the church kind of exploding out of Jerusalem and then kind of rocketing around the Mediterranean Sea and the Mediterranean area of the first century. Um, it's been changing the world, right? It's been changing cities. It's been changing people. It's been changing all kinds of things, turning the world in some ways upside down. And God has been doing that work largely through his church, whom he's empowered with the Holy Spirit to boldly proclaim the message, the good news of Jesus. It's been, I don't know if you've noticed, right? It's been really fast paced, pretty much from day one, right? From chapter one of, the, of Acts, it's just been bam, 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 event after event, action, churches planted, people changed, problems, all that sort of stuff, but the gospel has kept on advancing. Up until chapter 20, if you were here last week, where we're in Acts 20 and this kind of movement, this explosion kind of slowed right down. And we found Paul the Apostle in the city of Miletus. He'd invited all the church leaders from Asia Minor to come down and, and, talk, and listen to his last words. The pace really slowed down. It's a really unique speech, right? It's the only speech of its kind, Acts 20, in all of, the scripture, in all of Acts, where a leader, a church leader, speaks to other church leaders. Mostly the book of Acts is all about bold preaching of the good news, Acts 20 is all about Paul's passionate last words to this group of Ephesian elders. And basically he says to them this, he says, we saw this last week, watch your teaching. 
Because for the elders, right, for the church leaders, what you teach has consequences. So what's your teaching? Stay close to the gospel, guide people to the truth, guard people from the wolves. Guide and guard, that's what Paul said. And as I said last week, right, um, basically in church life, um, teaching kind of comes first, right, in church life. I said last week, teaching of the scriptures is not perhaps the, the most important thing in church life, but it is certainly the first thing that comes, right, logically. Um, you know, you might quibble, no, 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 but Jacko, I think love is the first thing that we should be all about in church. And, you, and I want to say to that, well, where do you get that idea from? And you ought to say, well, from Jesus, from the Bible, from the apostles, and that's true. There's the point. We have to listen to Jesus and the apostles to know the truth and to know how we are to live in light of the truth. But then we turn the page, right? And we land in Acts chapter 21, which I hope you have open right now in front of you, where the pace picks up again really dramatically. Uh, and we follow Paul, right, in this 1,000-kilometer journey from Miletus, which is on the coast of Turkey in Asia Minor, um, right across the Mediterranean to the coast of Israel, and then right into the capital of Israel, the city of Jerusalem, where Paul is arrested, where he is beaten, where he's put in prison, and then he's transported to Rome, where he will take the gospel to the imperial capital. So Paul, a thousand kilometer journey from Miletus in Turkey, right across the Mediterranean, where he crashes into the coast of Israel, and then he gets into the capital, which is Jerusalem, um, where he's arrested, I said, he's beaten, and then he is put in prison, transported to Rome where he will take the gospel to the imperial capital, where he will take the gospel to what is pretty much the centre of the known world at the time. Acts 21, right, is kind of the beginning of the last section of the book of Acts, the beginning of the end in many ways of Paul's life. And in this chapter, right, Acts 21, we come across, I think, some really interesting insights into what it means to live the Christian life and what it means to do mission as followers of Jesus. So... I'm going to read a big chunk of scripture, right? Acts 21, verses 1 to 9. Normal way we roll around here is we read the chunk of scripture and then someone like me jumps up and unpacks it. Today we're going to kind of just read it as we go and I'll make a few comments along the way. So here's Acts 21, verse 1 to 9. Follow along in front of you. It's on the screen as well. After we had torn ourselves away from them, that's the elders at Miletus, uh, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Cos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara, we found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was, un was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But when it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. We continued on our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now there is, even just in this little verse, like first nine verses of 20, chapter 21, there are stacks of things that I would love to say, right? It's beautiful, it's wonderful. 
If we were doing acts like over 15 years, we could probably drill down into this section, but we can't kind of tonight. But I just want to zoom into verse 9. Um, you might see, you see on the screen there. Um, and say something about women tonight. Um, you, know, you notice there, right? Luke, in what seems right, a bit of a passing reference, talks about Philip the Evangelist who has four daughters who prophesied in verse 9. The grammar in that sentence, in the original language, basically conveys the idea that these four women, um, the regular thing they did was to prophesy. Um, It wasn't like Paul had turned up and so they just sort of prophesied on a once-off occasion. They, four prophesying daughters who prophesied, that was what they did. The interesting thing about this, right, in the very next verse, I didn't read the very next verse, verse 10, we get introduced to a male prophet. His name's Agabus, who delivers a message to Paul. So you've got four prophesying females, and then this, in the verse, next verse, Agabus, the prophesying male. Luke, it seems, kind of deliberately balances that we have women who regularly, regularly prophesied and men who regularly prophesied. All scholars, right, note the prominence of women in the Gospel of Luke and in this sequel to Luke's Gospel, the Book of Acts. There isn't time to show you that, right? If we were going at 15 years in the Book of Acts, we could probably drill down into Luke and I could show you how all this kind of plays out. I can't. I'd love to, but I can't. But there isn't time to show you that. But one of the really great commentaries that's just recently come out on the Book of Acts by a guy named Craig Kinnear, a US brother in the Lord, um, a holler to the... US people among us tonight. Um, Craig Keener wrote wonderful te- a wonderful commentary on the book of Acts, probably now the, the best commentary we have on the book of Acts. It's epic. It's like four doorstop volumes. It's enormous. Um, but in his introduction to his commentary on Acts, he devotes 50 pages to an analysis of the treatment of women of Luke in the gospel and in the book of Acts. One of the things he identifies in Luke and Acts is that Often Luke pairs men and women, women and men. Seems to be a deliberate device, right, of Luke, built around a theology that Luke actually names in Acts chapter 2. In the midst of that great speech that Peter gives on the day of Pentecost, where God pours out his spirit, he quotes Joel chapter 2, this wonderful promise of this particular event coming, and he pairs men and women in ministry together. So have a look, Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Um, It's on the screen, I think. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Do you see that? Both men and women in those days and they will prophesy. Now, I say all this tonight as sort of an introductory point or a way to get started in Acts chapter 21 because I want us to be a church, right, that recognises that we need both men and women to promote Christ in the church and in the wider community and to the nations. And if our theology doesn't have a place, I think, for four prophesying daughters right alongside prophets like Agabus, then there's something maybe a little less biblical about our view of ministry. So I don't want this to become like a political moment, you know, like the roles of men and women, etc., etc. We can maybe have another day on that. But I do want to stress this. I want City Light, North Adelaide, we want City Light, North Adelaide to be a place where women will step up into public ministries for the sake of the gospel, 
That's what I want us to see. Women promoting Christ in the church and in the wider community for the glory of God. I think that's one of the things we see in Acts chapter 21. I'm just going to kind of leave that hanging there. We can talk about that over dinner um, later on. Let's pick up the narrative, right? Um, With the prophet Agabus, he's going to warn Paul that if he goes to Jerusalem, he is going to get arrested. And I love what Paul says. He basically says, so what? What's, What's the big deal with that? All right, have a look at this. Acts chapter 21 and verse 10. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When he heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way to Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Nason, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. You hear that, right? And one of the things that stands out to me in that just little kind of section right from the beginning of Acts chapter 21, verse 1, one thing that stands out, right, is just the sheer kind of strenuous exertion of the people involved in this ministry, right? In almost every turn, in almost every single verse, someone is doing some strenuous activity for the gospel, for its promotion. I mean, first up, right, there's this extensive and kind of precarious travel that Paul the Apostle and his kind of cronies are taking, right? I mean, we can often think that this must have been like a lovely just kind of sail around the Mediterranean. Anyone sail in the Mediterranean? Um, I've only seen the brochures at like Flight Centre and things like that. It looks amazing, right? You know, Greek islands and cocktails and beaches and just cocktails and more beaches, basically. And then you arrive in your destination and drink more cocktails on the beach. But in the first century, right, it would have been precarious and dangerous to do this kind of travel. The travel we've heard, right, verses 1 to 3. Here's a map that's going to come up on the screen, just to kind of give you a picture. There's Miletus kind of right in the middle. Uh, From Miletus to Cos, that would have been a day on the water sailing. Uh, Cos to Rhodes, another day on the water. Uh, Rhodes to Patara, another whole day of sailing. Um, Then there's that four-day voyage, right, right across the Mediterranean Sea, um, open seas across to Tyre, um, down the bottom right-hand side there. Then it's a three-day voyage, basically from Tyre down to the coastal city of Caesarea. And then, to get to Jerusalem, 24-hour hike, right? Two probably days. I don't know, I'll probably take five. But two days of hiking in order to get into Jerusalem. Jerusalem. But in the Bible, right, the whole journey just kind of bounces along. We're just going, well, this looks beautiful. I think I could do that trip really nicely. But in ancient readers, right, when they heard this, they were going, what? You did that trip in two weeks? That's nuts. The exertion is extraordinary. 
I mean, I feel ashamed when I read this and think of the distances and the effort they put in to travel to these places. Um, I met Carl for lunch down in Port Adelaide the other day, and I was like, wow, I've got to drive to Port Adelaide. You know, the things I do for the gospel, you know. You know, next week, I've, I'm, this week coming, I'm flying to Sydney for the Acts 29 conference, and I've got a couple of meetings there. Wow, the things I do for the gospel. But I'll put up with another Jetstar strike, you know, but I'll get there eventually. So I'm soft. I'm, I'm, you're looking at a very soft pastor, by the way, right? You are led by a very soft person. The exertion here is utterly extraordinary. Um, a friend of mine is a, a church leader in the church in the Northern Territory. Um, he's a bishop of, in the Anglican Church, and he, his, his parish, his responsibility, the entire Northern Territory. Um, and, you know, there's not a huge number of people living in the Northern Territory, but they're kind of scattered all over the place. And so for him, it's pretty normal, right? Someone says, hey, could you come out, you know, um, Greg, and, and teach us the Bible? So he jumps in the Land Cruiser, drives for three days, like along a dirt, muddy road, probably crocodiles jumping over him. No, I don't know. But he, he arrives there, you know, kind of opens the Bible, teaches the word, maybe gets a feed, stays overnight, and he drives back via the crocodiles for three days the next day. That's exertion, right, for the gospel. You know, what a, amazing, amazing exertion, amazing effort they're putting in for the goodness of the gospel. That's that. The, they're not, I don't know if you noticed the, the, the hospitality that was shown to these people along the way. Notice the references in Acts 21 to people just like opening their homes to Paul and his travelling companions. Verse 4, we stay with the believers. Verse 7, we stay with the believers. Verse 8, we stay with the believers. Verse 16, we stay with the believers. Huge hospitality. And I reckon people would have been scrambling to have Paul come into their home and Luke come into their home. Paul, you have this room. Luke, you have that room. Remember, this is probably a travelling team of about 10 or 20 people. Um, I mean, sometimes, right, this is like me on display, right? Sometimes Adele and I stress about having like four people around for dinner, you know, and we get to eat it as well. Um, I think we are. Adele's not in the room. We are soft. There you go. You know, you can ask her about that later. And then, of course, there's the hardship rights. It's just we, the hardship that's weaved into this whole chapter, especially in verse 13. Agabus says, um, the person who owns this belt that I'm binding myself up with, um, they will be bound when they get to Jerusalem. And Paul says, so what? Verse 13, I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And I stop and say, what about us? What about us? What about our exertion? Let me just say, I think City Light Church North Adelaide could well be a story of two churches um, because probably half of you here tonight don't need to hear that you, know, you need to exert yourselves and be more strenuous in your service of the church and the gospel. Um, you're already strenuously serving Christ some of you, I reckon, I look out and probably serving the Lord a little bit too much at times. Um, some of our members of our volunteer staff team, some others, um, you know, really giving themselves and giving their all for the good news of Jesus and the good of our community on top of, like, serving and working full-time. Um, I won't name names. I'm tempted to, but I won't. Um, some people don't need, need to hear about exerting themselves more, but some of us do. Um, 
You know, some of us wouldn't think twice, right? Staying up until, I don't know, 2 a.m., 3 a.m. in the morning, watching our Bitcoin investment or our investments, whatever it might be, or watching Netflix, you know, binging on that, and then kind of waking up on Sunday a little bit tired and just going, oh, I'm just not going to go to church today. Just blow off church. Or if you've had a you know, pretty bad day at, at, at work, maybe you just blow off DG, not going to go. So I sort of spend, I don't know, big money on, on holidays, uh, but maybe never pay that kind of amount to gospel ministry. Some of us will happily kind of bear ridicule for our political views. Some of us will bear ridicule for our uh, sporting team that we love, but we, we don't stand up for Christ in our workplaces when the opportunity comes. Some of us spend endless hours like climbing the career ladder, um, getting fit and fabulous, but struggle to commit to two hours of church each week, which in our church I think actually ends up to be kind of like one in two Sundays per, week, per month, uh, once a fortnight. Now, I'm, I'm not simply going for the guilt trip here, right? Although, like, you might go, That's, it sounds like you are, Jacko. Like, I'm feeling it. Um, Can I just say, like, guilt is the lowest and worst form of pastoring and trying to motivate people to give themselves to the local church or to the work of the gospel in all kinds of ways? But I'm just, I just, I'm just being honest with you, right? Because I I kind of puzzle about this at times. Because, like, we we're not a lazy culture. We are, we sure aren't a lazy culture. We are an exertion culture. We are work hard kind of culture. We, we exert ourselves for all kinds of stuff, but often we don't exert ourselves for things that are related to our faith or Christianity. I don't get it sometimes. Like I plead with the Lord like to, to pour out his spirit. You know what I say tonight? Like if the gospel isn't true, If Jesus really didn't come into the world, if Jesus didn't really die for our sins, if he didn't rise again from the dead to give us forever life, then I reckon two hours per week or two hours a fortnight is probably more than enough. But if it's true, what effort is too much? Well, Paul's exertions now take him to Jerusalem, And once there, we glimpse another aspect of the Christian life and mission and ministry that I think is really striking. It sort of leaps off the page. Um, follow along with me from verse 20 of Acts chapter 21. When they heard this um, about Paul's exploits and determination, I think they, they praised God. They said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed and, and all of them are zealous for the law. They've been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children and to live according to our customs. What should we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. So what do so do what we tell you? There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we've written to them about our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. Verse 24, the next day Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. Now, 
in Jerusalem, whilst Paul's been off for many years now, kind of telling the world, or at least most of the world, about the Lord Jesus, that he died and rose again, and that if you believe in him, you'll be forgiven and have eternal life. While he's been telling that to the Gentiles, it seems that a whole truckload of Orthodox Jewish people back in downtown Jerusalem have come to know and believed that Jesus actually is the long-promised Messiah that's just all the way through the Old Testament. That's what seems to have happened. So when Paul arrives in Jerusalem after that epic journey, Rumours abound that Paul teaches against the law of Moses, against the temple, and against all sorts of other things. So James, right, he's the leader of the church in Jerusalem, he's actually the brother of the Lord Jesus, says, hey, look, Paul, like, would you just kind of consider embracing a little bit more of the Jewish form of your faith while you're kind of back here in Jerusalem? That'd be really great. Now, I don't know, if you're like me and the way you think about Paul, I, w- I-, I think I would have expected Paul to say, you've got to be joking, James. Do you know who I am? You know, like, I'm Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles. That's not, I'm, no way, I'm not doing that. I mean, on principle, right? We're not saved by obedience to the law of Moses, but by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, that is correct theology, but in a flash, Paul happily does this. Why? Because Paul will do just about anything to win a hearing for the gospel. And if that means a more Jewish expression of the faith, he'll embrace that with joy. One year earlier, right? So one year earlier, when this, you know, before this incident we're reading about right now occurred, Paul wrote to a church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians, and where he kind of laid out his policy on this to the church at Corinth. He says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To, the, to win the weak, I became, here it is, I became all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. Keyword: flexibility. Can you say it with me? Flexibility. See, the gospel writer so freed the Apostle Paul that he was actually able to, as required, express his faith in a very Jewish way. But in other situations where he was amongst you know, Gentiles or non-Jewish people, he was kind of able to eat whatever was put before him. This kind of flexibility, I don't know, this kind of flexibility I find really impressive from the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 10, we haven't got time to go there, Paul actually expects the same kind of flexibility from believers in Corinth as they lived among all kinds of peoples, Jews and Gentiles. So I want to put this to you, right? In light of the flexibility of the Apostle Paul, in light of this call to us to be similarly kind of flexible, here's a question, right? And I'm going to get you to turn to the person next to you and answer it, right? So the, the, the key here is to say, what do you think really fast, right? Then you don't have to commit to anything. Um, but here's the, here's the thing. If it would reach more people in North Adelaide, in the inner north, 
uh, our CBD, if it, was, if it would reach more people with the gospel, would you happily embrace a church service here at 5.15pm that was filled with liturgy and only hymns on the organ? There's the question. Understand the question? Ask the person next to you. Would you do that? Go. I'll give you like 15 seconds. <laughs> Go. All right. The curry's boiling. We don't want to wait too long. You know. Um, what's 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 your answer? Oh, Carl said if I lead the singing, we'd be up for it. Yeah, right. I mean, the correct answer is absolutely. Like without doubt. You know, when I think of this kind of flexibility, I think of um. Uh, some good friends have actually visited here a couple of times. Uh, I'll, I'll tell them that. They're, it's Jan and Ian, uh, an older couple. Uh, they've been serving in the church in, in various ways for years and years and years. Um, and yeah, they're in their 70s now. But, but the, when, I, when I think of this flexibility, I think of these two people. Um, they just come to mind. There's many others. You know, they, they just happily embraced kind of, you know, AM church, which classically is sort of a bit sort of more traditional and hymns and liturgy and responses and standing and, you know, like church aerobics where you're up and down, that sort of stuff. But they also, because they love seeing the fact that young people were loving Jesus and living for Jesus, they just went along to the evening service as well and just sort of got involved. They'd occasionally say to me, Simon, it's a bit loud, isn't it? And um, I'd say, what? No. And, uh, you know, it was a bit, but they loved it. I think of them. Because they were like free from cultural preferences. They, were, they kind of were free from their rights. They were willing to do anything for the sake of the gospel. The first Christians, right, they exerted themselves strenuously for the sake of the gospel. They were flexible. But sometimes even then, despite their best efforts, they couldn't avoid being misunderstood. Have a look with me at verse 27 of Acts chapter 21. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They'd previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. When, while, sorry, they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops, the troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his, and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains, then asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing, um, some another, and since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. Now, can I say, like, as we start this section, there is no way, there is no way that Paul preached, as verse 28 says, against our people. Pretty sure Paul would have just said that God loves all people. There is no way that he preached against the law of Moses. He would have simply said that the law of Moses can't save you. 
And there's no way that he preached against the temple. He would have just said that the true sacrifice has already come in the Lord Jesus. The temple pointed to that. But despite Paul's best efforts, he simply couldn't avoid being misunderstood. And I'm also sorry to say, like, there is, there is simply no way that Paul would have brought Trophimus, a Greek person, into the temple courts. No way. Paul, Paul would have known full well, right, the danger of doing that. In this time, there were signs on the wall, like, of the temple, which basically, you know, like, would have said, you know, if you're not a Jew, if you step past this line, dead. You are responsible for your own impending Thanatos, death. That's what would have happened. There's no way that Paul would have done that. But the text in verse 22 says, they assumed wrongly that Paul had brought the Greek into the temple. In other words, it's just a misunderstanding. And yet unfortunately, right, this triggers the arrest of the Apostle Paul, the beating of him, the near-death experience of him being put in chains, chains that he won't get out of, right, for four years until he's released from chains and then he's killed. This is really the beginning of the end of Paul. But it's also how the gospel message gets to Rome, the centre of the known world. My point? Sometimes in the Christian life and in our mission, we just simply can't avoid misunderstanding. Some people are just like so opposed to the gospel of Jesus that all we can do in response is, is be gracious and kind of put up with it. You know, here's like a few examples of where misunderstandings kind of lead to kind of generalizations and things like that. So the Crusaders, right, um, in the name of Jesus, did some utterly despicable things to other cultures. But some people have taken that and say, well, Christianity started all the wars in history. That's pretty much what people say. It's true that some Christians are anti-science, but that doesn't mean that Christianity is generally against the scientific enterprise and endeavour. There are genuinely some Christians who are bigoted, but people extrapolate that, right, and they basically say, well, that means like every Christian is bigoted and hates people. Sometimes it doesn't matter, right, how gracious and clear we are. We're going to be misunderstood and we need to bear that with the kind of grace that the Apostle Paul does. And yet in the mystery of God, the gospel gets to Rome because of this terrible misunderstanding. So brothers and sisters here at City Light Church North Adelaide, whenever we find ourselves attacked unfairly, we have to ask ourselves the question that our first century brothers and sisters would have asked themselves that Christians in China would be asking themselves right now, that uh, Christians in Nepal ask themselves today, that Christians in the Middle East big time today are asking, here's the question, is the gospel of Jesus Christ true? Because if it isn't true, it's not really worth the trouble, is it? It's not. But if it is true, that God looks on the world of such faithlessness and yet in Jesus comes into the world to die a most shameful death on the cross so that people like you and me be, could be forgiven and then would rise again, that people like you and me could be free and have forever life. If that is true, right? Like, I mean, true, true. 
like true regardless of who else, around, who else around me kind of believes it to be true, then we can absorb misunderstanding. We can bear the criticism and trust that somehow the gospel kind of gets to Rome, keeps going out. So let me close by saying, women, sisters here at City Light Church North Adelaide, will you step up into more public ministries? Promoting Jesus alongside the men. And men, will you support your sisters and encourage them? And all of us, will we exert ourselves for Jesus? Some of you don't need to do any more, but some of us really do. And will we embrace a flexibility that comes with the gospel? By the way, you know how we're talking about sort of adding some elements in? I'm not thinking about hymns, like, just yet. Like, but, but you know, will, you, will we embrace flexibility? Kind of putting to one side our preferences, putting to one side our rights, happy to give up anything, happy to kind of almost do anything in order to get a hearing for the good news of Jesus. And will we, brothers and sisters, live in this world as best as we can, graciously enduring misunderstanding, knowing that in the strange mystery of God, the gospel inches towards Rome? Will you do those things? Let's pray and ask God to help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we pray that you would take your word and write it on our hearts. Father, we pray that you would change us by your spirit, uh, that we would be people shaped by the teaching of the apostles. Uh, Father, enlivened by your gospel. And Lord, giving our all in the strength that you provide for us in Jesus. Lord, help us together as men and women to promote your glory and to promote the good news in our church, uh, in our suburb, in our city and to the ends of the earth. Father, help us, Lord, to um, yeah, take note of your word and this exhortation tonight, Lord, to, um, as it needs be in our lives, uh, perhaps step up and step into a, a ministry of serving your body here at church. Lord, we give you thanks for those who exert themselves strenuously even now in the service of us. Our Father, open up doors for us. Um, help us to push on those doors and walk through them as you would uh, allow us. Lord, like Paul, help us to be men and women who are flexible. Father, not wedded to our own rights and preferences, but committed to the joy of others around us. And Father, we pray that we would so encourage one another, so stand firm together in the power of your spirit and in the truth of the gospel, that come what may, misunderstanding, attack, or whatever it might be, that we would respond like Christ did, with grace, like Paul did with grace. And trust that as we do that, your good news, your great purposes of redeeming men, women and children from every tongue, tribe, people and language group would continue to be at work. We trust you in that. So Father, we pray, help us. We are weak, you are strong. Father, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church 
or to donate to the work of City Light Church North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.